They've been married for 30 years. He's a pioneer of Catholic lay evangelization, and she has a master's degree in theology. Put on the coffee and get ready to open the scriptures. It's time for Bible with the Barbers. Now, here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome to Bible with the Barbers Amen. on this Tuesday in February. This is the 27th, no? 7th, I think, something like that. The day before Ash Wednesday, my There love. you go. Tomorrow's Ash Wednesday. Today's 26th, right? 25th. I can't keep track of we're, 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 we're really lost here. We're doing good. But you know, we know where we are in the scriptures. That's right. <laughs> so we have, the, we have the letter of James as the first reading um, for the, the readings of the Powerful. Mass today. And it's James chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. And he writes, Beloved, where do wars and where do the conflicts among you come from? Is it not from your passions that make war within your members? You covet, but you do not possess. You kill and envy, but you cannot obtain. You fight and wage war. You do not possess because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Adulterers. Do you not know that to be a lover of the world means enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wants to be a lover of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose that the scripture speaks without meaning when it says, the spirit that he has made to dwell in us tends toward jealousy? But he bestows a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you of two minds. Begin to lament, to mourn, to weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning, and your joy into dejection. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. The word of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. And we'll look at this for a few minutes, and then we want to do the gospel also. But what James hits pretty hard, and I, we really need to read the letter of James. He's not mincing any words. This is James, the cousin of Jesus. He wrote this. This is one of the very first writings of the New Testament. It was written um, before the gospels were written, and, and he writes this. And he's writing to the diaspora. He's writing to the Jewish people mm. who are not in Judea who are dispersed throughout the Roman Empire. So he's writing to Jews. And he has a very, uh, Monsignor was telling us at Mass this morning, he has a very down-to-earth country way of speaking that isn't nuanced, as we would say. It's very direct and to the point. Let's not beat around the bush. Let's just say what needs to be said and say it directly. You hear me. What I say is what I mean. And this book was written early, like what, 48, 49 Actually, 44 months. 44, in okay. It was written 44. in 44. 80. So it's one of the earlier transcripts of the Bible. Exactly. And you know what I really got out of this, too, is who are we going to serve, the world right. or God? That's my overall view of what James is telling me. You can't serve both. Right. And, and, and God is a jealous lover, yeah. and he must be. What does he say? What is the first commandment of God? I am the Lord your God. You yeah. shall not have any other gods before That's me. That's not myself. Not my neighbor, not my husband, not my money, not my power, not my pleasure, nothing. God has to be first. And so when we try and serve the world and God, remember what Jesus said about serving two masters? You're either going to love one and despise the other or be attentive to the one and uh, hate the other. You, you can't serve two masters. You can't do this. 
So we choose God first and we serve God with our whole heart, mind, and soul, with all our strength and all our will. And then we will put everything in order in our life and it will be ordered to God. And then, you know, one of the things we have to do is to admit that we need God's help. It's kind of tough sometimes. A lot of people think, and especially in America, well, I'm a self-made man. I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps. I, I this and I that, and I don't need anybody, and I'm not, resp- I'm not dependent on anyone, and I can manage this myself, and I don't need your help, and I'm not going to ask you for help because I can stand on my own two feet, and this is all about me. And Well, no, it's not. We need each other. We Amen. were made to be in relationship. God is not a solitude unto himself. He's a trinity of persons. He's a communion of love and life. So when he made the human race, he made us to be in communion with one another, in a community of love and life where we depend on one another. And we depend first and foremost upon God. And especially because of original sin, we need God's help. Now, we needed God's help before original sin. We needed his help to stay in the grace that he had given. And the grace he had given was an absolutely unmerited free gift. But we now we really need his grace mm. because we do have concupiscence and we don't see clearly what is the true good to choose. And so we choose wrongly. Right. We think that, oh, we're supposed to pursue money or pleasure or our, our comfort or our ease or fitting in with society or just getting along. You know, don't make any waves. Just be you should never be upset. You should never have any passion. Mm. You should just speak in a tranquil sort of way with no incantation, what do you call it, when you go up, inflection, excuse me, no inflection in your voice. Everything should just be calm and peaceful. You know, everything can be calm and peaceful on the surface and underneath be filled with war and disaster. No. When we see injustice, we should feel anger. Now, does that mean we're supposed to go around destroying people's property or, or hitting people or beating people up? No. We have to say, I don't consent to the sin of anger, Lord, but I acknowledge this injustice. How do I correct it? Is it my place to correct it? What's the proper means and the proper measure? Okay, so we, as Christians, we're not supposed to go around not having feelings. Our feelings aren't bad. I'm talking about the emotions. You have right. 11 emotions. Love, hate, joy, sorrow, desire, aversion, audacity, fear, hope, despair, and anger. And they are all good. They were all made by God, and they all have a purpose. And they're all holy when they are directed toward God. But they can all lead us astray because every faculty of our body and the 11 emotions are all faculties of the body desire their own favorite food without consideration for the good of the whole. And this is our difficulty as human beings. We have to be concerned about our neighbor. Do you remember what Paul wrote in his letter about I won't eat meat ever again if it's going to cause scandal to my brother? Mm -hmm. Are we concerned about whether or not our actions are causing scandal to people around us? So James is telling us that we need to serve the Lord and put our hearts at serving the Lord, put the Lord first in our life. And if we are serving the world, then we're enemies of God. And we have to remember that God is a jealous lover and that also God resists the proud. So we want to get rid of that pride. We want to acknowledge that we need help. The help of our brothers, that's why you have groups like Alcoholics Anonymous, which in and of itself, as a support group to help people try and stay sober, that's a good idea. I'm not going to say they're perfect or they have the, all the answers, right? But, but it's a good idea. When you have a, an addictive behavior, you need to make yourself accountable to someone outside of yourself to keep you sober. 
whatever the addictive behavior sure. is to keep you from that addictive behavior. You need to make yourself, you need to find someone whom you can be accountable to who's going to make sure that you stay true to your resolution to overcome that addiction. But you also need God's grace. We, are, we humble ourselves before the Lord and ask for his grace and mercy and beg him for the help that we need. And he's there. And what, is, what does James say? Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. You know, it's interesting. Someone asked me about the renounce prayer and Jesse weighed in on that question. It was good. I answered it. But the renounce prayer in and of itself, as far as I could understand, comes from the Protestants. And I didn't really go deeply into it. But Catholics have a renounce prayer. Guess what it is? Mm. The beginning of our baptismal promises. And what do we say? I renounce sin and I refuse to be mastered by the glamour of evil. I renounce Satan and all of his pomps and works and all of his, and all his um, lies and, and deceits. Okay, so we renounce sin and Satan. We renounce the things that will keep us from God. Sin is, and sin is a, an absence of being. It's a, it's a rejection of God. So it's, it's not a thing. It's not a creation. God didn't make sin. So we have a renounce prayer, and that is renew your baptismal vows every day. And, but whenever you make the renounce, then I believe in God, the Father Almighty. Express your belief. Say the creed. That's a renewal of our baptismal promises, and we should do this every day. So we want to resist the devil, and we do that, by the way, through prayer, through fasting, through doing our daily duty, going to Mass, asking God for the grace I need this day to stay free from sin. And we can ask. Are we asking? Well said, Mary. I I can't say any more on that one. That's uh, well said. You know, I will mention something before we break. That I know you'll, you're, if we allow your daily, your daily duty allows you to come to the presentation at the chapel on March 17th, Faustina, Messenger of Divine Mercy. This is the St. Luke Production Presents. They're up in Oregon and they come all over the country and the world doing movies on the little flower and different saints. And this is a, uh, a presentation that a wonderful a woman is going to portray Faustina uh, and give us a wonderful presentation. And you're welcome to come. The way you can find out about it is calling 877-526-2151 or go to virginmostpowerfulradio.org under events. Uh, I want to be there, and I hope you'll be there. And by the, when you're looking, you'll see that the Adoramus Conference is coming up on the 14th of March, just a couple days before that, with Father Joseph Fessio coming to speak about the liturgy, along with two other experts. We're going to have a wonderful day there on the Easter Tritium. Well, I'm going to make a suggestion for Lent that you go to this as a Lenten practice. Right, and here's the deal. It's going to be on Tuesday night, so instead of having the regular Bible with the barbers on that Tuesday night, we'll have this presentation on Faustina, which fits right in with the Bible study and, and God's divine mercy. And the reality is, is you know, people talk about movie nights or mm-hmm. date nights or whatever. Sure. Make this a family night. Mm-hmm. Bring your families. You know, are we going, again, the world, we're supposed to be resisting the world, but are we going to Disneyland on a regular basis where they're promoting a lot of debauchery and immoral living? Are we going to movies that are promoting debauchery and immoral living? Now you have an opportunity to go to something that will build up your faith and help you to learn more about how much God loves you. Wow, we haven't even gotten through with uh, James's first reading. We, we got the gospel to get to after that and much more on the Bible with the barbers. It sure goes by fast. Yes, it does. When you're having fun. <laughs> and I hope you're having fun learning about the Bible and how it applies to you and your family. We'll be right back with much more on Virgin Most Powerful. 
This is Matthew Arnold for Virgin Most Powerful Radio. This March, VMPR, in association with the Catholic Resource Center, will be hosting a special conference for the Adoramus Society. Adoramus at the Triduum, a conference on the spirituality of the Triduum liturgies, featuring speakers Father Joseph Fessio, Dr. Anthony Lillis, and Christopher Carstens, addressing such topics as developing a liturgical spirituality, the spirituality of Holy Thursday, the spirituality of Good Friday, and the spirituality of the Paschal Vigil and Easter season. It all takes place March 14, 2020, at the historic Sacred Heart Chapel at 381 West Center Street, Covina, California, 91723. You can register online at vmpr.org or call now at 877-526-2151 to reserve your seat today for Adoramus at the Triduum. Sirach 1124 says, Do not say I am self-sufficient. What harm can come to me now? According to St. Catherine of Siena, presumption is like vermin burrowing at the root of the tree of our soul. If we do not uproot it with great care and humility, it will eventually destroy the soul. May God keep us from all presumption of mind and heart and realize that we depend on Him for everything. Buying or selling your home or your business property? This is Terry Barber. Real Estate for Life underwrites The Terry and Jesse Show. And they can connect you to one of 900 pro-life real estate agents around the world. And when they receive their referral fee, they will give 80% of it to a pro-life organization. Wow! That's 80%! Realestateforlife.org, 877-LIFE-US1. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Well, welcome back to Bible with the Barbers. So we just want to finish up here this last paragraph of the, of the James um, chapter 4, the letter of James chapter 4. And so he tells us to draw near to God and God will draw near to us. So, yes, invite the Lord in and draw near to him. How do we do this? Through prayer. Daily prayer, acknowledge the Lord every day. Good morning, dear God. I offer to you my thoughts, words, and actions and all that I do. Every day, draw near to the Lord God, and he will draw near to you. And then he says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you of two minds. And again, aren't we sometimes of two minds? We think, oh, well, you know, uh, I could do this. God, God, God doesn't really mind. You know, people say this kind of stuff. You know, oh, well, it's all right. God will forgive me. You know, by the way, to say that, oh, I can commit this sin and then I can go to confession, that's called presumption. You, you don't presume on the mercy of God. That, as a matter of fact, is a sin. It's a grave sin. You don't presume on God's mercy. So we need to cleanse our hands and we need to give up sin. And we need to lament and mourn and weep. And he says, let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy into dejection. If we understood the gravity of sin, and this was one of the beauty of this, the saints fell in love with God. And when they fell in love with God, they realized how much sin is a real offense against God who is real. It really does offend him because when we sin, it degrades us. 
And it's also a rejection of being. It's a rejection of the goodness that God has made. So, yeah, we should mourn and lament our sins. That's what he's talking about. He's not talking about going around saying, oh, every life is so miserable and it's so hard and oh my, and I'm such a sinner and look at me, I'm such a sinner and I'm so humble because I can say I'm such a sinner and aren't I wonderful because I can say I'm such a sinner and everybody look at me. No, 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 no. The joy of the Lord is what we want to replace. We want to replace our worldly joy with the joy of the Lord. Remember Jesus Christ's new joy on the cross. Remember Eleazar in the book of Maccabees Mm -hmm. when he was um, suffering. And he said, I am suffering great torment in my body with joy in my soul because I know that the Lord will give me recompense for all my suffering. So it's like Paul said, "I, I, I look forward to the glory that will be revealed. Okay, Jesus Christ endured the cross, heedless of its shame, in view of the glory that would be revealed. So keep your eye on the prize, you know, that song. And, and it really is true. Keep your eye on the, the glory that God wishes to share with you, which is his glory. And so we, we repent of our sins, but humble ourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt us. And that exalt, exaltation is sharing in his glory in heaven. He will actually let us share in his glory. And even here on earth, we share in the life of God. He gives us his life in the sacraments. He lets us share in his life. And in the Eucharist, Jesus Christ gives us himself, body, blood, soul, and divinity under the appearance of bread and wine or on, you know, under the appearance of bread, either one, either species. Jesus is whole and entire in his living glorified state under either species. So that's, that's the letter of James. And take it to heart. Read it. Read the whole thing. We mentioned that last week. I don't know if you remember, but we mentioned to read the entire book. It's a short book, but it's a very powerful book. Maybe you can put that as part of your Lenten practice to really look at the James letter. And that comment about humility, I uh, I always remember the saints saying this, humility and truth go together. Right. Because when you are humble, you know the truth about yourself. Exactly. And the truth is that we're sinners and we need God's help yep. to do any good. And so we thank him for any good that we do because it's with his help that we do it. Yep. And and I thought, what an appropriate reading for today, Tuesday, the day before Ash Wednesday. I thought, whoa, that, if we really read that and meditate on it, it's mm. getting us ready for Lent. Yep. So we go on to the gospel according to Mark, and it's Mark 9, verses 30 through 37. And Jesus and his disciples left from there and began a journey through Galilee. But he did not wish anyone to know it. He was teaching his disciples and telling them, the Son of Man is to be handed over to men. And they will kill him. And three days after his death, the Son of Man will rise. But they did not understand the saying, and they were afraid to question him. They came to Capernaum, and once inside the house, he began to ask them, What were you arguing about on the way? But they remained silent, for they had been arguing about who was the greatest. Then he sat them down. And he called the twelve and said to them, If anyone wishes to be first, he shall be the last of all and the servant of all. Taking a child, he placed it in their midst. And putting his arms around it, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child as this in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me, receives the one who sent me. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. And so we have Jesus and his disciples, and now he's makes, in, in Mark 8, he told them that the Son of Man would have to suffer. Now, this is his second prediction of his passion. He's going to suffer. And so they're going along, and they get to the house, and Jesus said, well, what were you discussing on the way? Jesus has just told them he's, that, that he's going to have to suffer. 
Mm-hmm. And what are they talking about? Which one of us is the greatest? Who's yeah. going to have the first place? You know, <laughs> uh, you know, of men. Yeah, <laughs> and it, it, isn't that isn't that the way we didn't? They didn't really get it, and they can't really grasp this idea that Jesus is going to have to suffer. And there's there's kind of this resistance within, my, and, and each of us has this, especially when it comes to suffering. We have this fear of suffering, and it it really is a hindrance in the spiritual life because, first of all, we can't eliminate suffering from life. It it's just there. Yep. The world is not the perfect paradise that God made. It is the world that has been infected by sin and degradation. So suffering's always going to be there. But Jesus came to redeem the meaning of suffering. Mm-hmm. It is all new in Christ, and it's been recapitulated. It's been gathered up together and offered back to the Father. And now our suffering has meaning. We can help save souls. Mm-hmm. We can be co-redeemers with Jesus Christ. We can suffer with him. I fill up in my own flesh what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ for the sake of his body, the church. St. Paul writes. First chapter, Colossians. You know, Mary, when you're talking about that, it reminds me of another saint, St. Maximilian Colby. He said there are three stages of life. The first stage is your formation. Your, your parents are teaching you about the Lord, about life, and you're learning all about that. Then your apostolate, you're married, your husband, wife, priest, brother, whatever God calls you to do. But the third stage of life, whether you're a priest, brother, layman, the third stage, St. Maximilian Colby says, is suffering. And unfortunately, there's a lot of wasted pain because so many people don't understand suffering. We have a world right now that says, well, euthanize the people. Right. Because, you know, they're not going to be able to, it's almost like a we, we, we're treating, we get mixed up, we're treating it like someone's a dog or a cat. Right. Or they don't have the opportunity to unite their suffering with the sufferings of Christ as human beings are. So it's just that we need to really understand one of the great treasures the church has is teaching us how to participate in our suffering with the sufferings of Christ for the good of the church. And this is something that sometimes uh, it just doesn't get taught. And so here at the Bible with the Barbers, we probably have mentioned this several times. It's because every action is like a blank check. If Christ's name is on it, it has infinite value. value. Right. And so we want to unite our sufferings to Jesus Christ in his suffering. Mm-hmm. Unite our whole lives to Christ. And then everything has meaning and it's redemptive. Mm-hmm. And the deal is, here the apostles are. They couldn't quite get it. And so what are they arguing about? Well, who's the greatest? You know, we go off and talk about some worldly thing. And they really didn't get it. Yep. And so what does he tell them? The one who is the greatest is the one who's willing to serve. Yep. The one who serves the most. And that there can be a little bit of, of um, <laughs> competition going on here where there are some people who they won't allow anyone else to serve them because they're going to be the greatest servant. And they're going to, you know what, that, that's a bit of pride, pride too. Yeah. No, you willingly accept from others. And you graciously accept it and thank God and then pray for those people when they, when they want to do a favor for you. Yeah. But, but it doesn't, um, one of the things we have to be careful as Christians is don't accept favors from people when, there's, when there are strings attached. You know, it's like, well, I'll do this for you if. You know, and and when, when people start attaching strings to their, their kindness to you or whatever, no, that's a way of manipulating you. That's a way right. of keeping you enslaved to them. No, we owe ourselves to God. We don't even belong to ourselves. We belong to God. God bought us and paid for us at a price, by the way. Jesus Christ shed his blood for us. We've been bought and paid for at a price, we were told in the scriptures. And so we need to serve, but we serve in love and we serve out of love for Jesus Christ. And we do our best. 
And you know what? Sometimes we need to try and figure out what's the best way to serve this person. You know, sometimes we want to serve people the way I want to serve. I want to do what I want to do for them. And then, but it doesn't really help. (laughs) You know, and it's like, you know, I'm, I'm really serving myself because I'm serving my own pride. And again, it, it, you know, but serve with generosity and charity and offer your service to others freely. And I think of that as, you know, mothers and, and their opportunity. The, you know, the, the, the feminist movement of the 20th century oh, has been so anti-woman because it, it says to women, you shouldn't be servants to anyone. You shouldn't have to serve. Well, what are you saying? Don't be like Christ. And don't be mothers. Don't be who you were made to be. Be something else. Well, no, I was made to be a mother, whether a physical, and I am a physical mother. I'm married and God blessed us with children. Thank you, God. But every woman is a mother, spiritually, physically, emotionally, psychologically. She serves as a mother and she serves and it it comes natural to her. And every, every father also serves as a father, but in a different capacity, Men and women are complementary. It's not a war. We don't have to be a, going back again to James. You know, where's, where's all this warring come from? Well, the men, they're always putting us down. And all the women, they're just always emotional and feeling sorry for themselves. And, and instead of realizing that we're, we have differences so that we can be complementary and work together to build families, it doesn't take a village, by the way, to raise a child. It takes a family, mm-hmm. a family, a husband and wife who love one another and the extended family. But the extended family has to be supportive of the, 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 the values of, that you want to, you know, and as Christians, we know, we want our children to know, love, and serve the Lord our God. We were made by God because he wanted to show forth his goodness and share his happiness with us. And in order to do that, we have to know, love, and serve him. The basic catechism, right? Who made you? God made me. Why did God make you? To show forth his goodness and to share with us his happiness in heaven. What do I have to do to share the happiness of God in heaven? I have to know, love, and serve him on this earth. Know, love, and serve the Lord our God. And that begins in the family. And the family is that reflection of God in creation to show us what the life of the Trinity is about. And that's what this gospel is talking about, this service, humble service. And so Jesus uses a child, a little child. Mm -hmm. Let the little children come to me. I I always like that, Mary, that quote, because in church sometimes uh, the ushers unfortunately get a little aggressive when a baby makes a little noise and, oh, you got to get that child out. No, no, that's not what Jesus said. No. Mary, your points here in the gospel are really clearly demonstrated uh, in the last 50, 60 years. Look what's happened to the family. Yeah. As yeah. we've become individualistic, oh, uh, yeah. it's torn the family Here's apart. The family apart. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I want to remind our married couples that my job is to get this girl to heaven. And gentlemen, your job is to get your wife to heaven. And ladies... My job is to get him to heaven. That's how it works. And when we understand that, it really makes our focus really supernatural because sometimes I think what's happening, and we can demonstrate it by what's happened in the world, the the family's being torn apart because everybody's running in their own direction. And society's falling apart. There you go. Because it's all about me. We're all centered on ourselves. Mm -hmm. We need to center back on God as the center and then serve one another in his name. For the sake of his glory, that his kingdom would come and his will be done. Wow, Virgin Most Powerful Bible with the Barbers. I hope you're enjoying it as much as I am. We'll be back with much, much more on Virgin Most Powerful Radio.
We finally did it. We have a Catholic Mental Health Conference on April 25, 2020, here at the Sacred Heart Chapel with Dr. Louis Sandoval. He's going to be speaking on the basics of mental illness versus what we consider normal. Number one, he's going to go on the basics of mental illness versus what we consider normal. Second hour, depression, anxiety versus oppression and obsession. The third hour, bipolar disorders. Oh my gosh, infestation and possession. He's going to talk on mental health with the spiritual aspect. Number four, talk will be on drug use. Altered mental status versus demonic influence. I want to hear that talk. I hope you do too. Go to virginmostpowerfulradio.org or call us at 877-526-2151. The date is April 25th, 2020. Be there by calling 877-526-2151. God bless you. This is Terry Barber. I want to thank you for supporting Virgin Most Powerful Radio. And here's an easy way to support us by going to smile.amazon.com and type in Catholic Resource Center or Virgin Most Powerful Radio. And when you log in your Amazon account and you purchase products, a portion of it will go right back in supporting Virgin Most Powerful Radio. And it doesn't cost you a dime. I want to thank you ahead of time because that supports us year-round. May God bless you and your family. Buying or selling your home or your business property? This is Terry Barber. Real Estate for Life underwrites The Terry and Jesse Show, and they can connect you to one of 900 pro-life real estate agents around the world. And when they receive their referral fee, they will give 80% of it to a pro-life organization. Wow, that's 80%. Realestateforlife.org, 877-LIFE-US-1. This is Jesse Romero. You're listening to Bible with the Barbers on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Thank you, Jesse, for bringing us back. Mm-hmm. And we, we had an interesting question on the app. Um, you know, oh, yeah. Well, on the app, they, they ask questions. And the, one of the questions this week, there's a gentleman um, who's part of the RCIA team. And they had a... Um, this is funny. A person came yeah. in who, and they were talking about Matthew 8 verses 5 through 13. And in Matthew 8, verses 5 through 13, you have the centurion who comes to Jesus and asks Jesus to heal his servant, right? And uh, Jesus marvels at the centurion's faith, right? Jesus says, well, I'll come and do it. And the centurion says, no, you don't have to come to my house. I'm a man who has authority over others, and I know all you have to do is say the word, and Mm -hmm. my servant will be healed. And Jesus marvels and said, in all of Israel, I haven't found such faith. Mm -hmm. And so... Um, someone was there in the group. I assumed it was a visitor. It, it sounded like the person was a visitor. And she was saying, well, really, um, I read this book by this Jesuit, and he said, and he's a, he's a historian, and he said that actually the centurion was a homosexual and that this um, servant of his was his lover. And I'm just like, <laughs> when you read the scriptures, the scriptures speak for themselves, and they have a message for you from God. All right, and so you have exegesis, and that is to understand the text. But you can read this, the the scriptures with another mindset, and that is, I want us, I want the scriptures to say whatever it is I want them to say, 
And so I, I read this and I'm like, well, first of all, no, there's, there is no, absolutely nothing in the texts that warrants that interpretation that this man was a homosexual and this, this servant was his, his lover. Psh, no, there's nothing in the text that gives any indication of that whatsoever. That's, that's a reading into scripture, something that's not there. That's a reading into scripture, what he wants to do. I believe it's called eisegesis. Yeah. Well, you put your yeah. own idea into scripture <laughs> sure instead did. of, instead of changing, you know, Scripture is supposed to purify our minds and make us think more like God. Mm-hmm. We're not supposed to take our sinful minds and impose them on Scripture and say, ah, you see, God approves of my sin. No, that's not how it works. And so um, there was just, there's absolutely no. And then this, this woman also brought up a group called Dignity. And unfortunately, this group, Dignity, is not a group that wants to help um, people live lives according to God's law. No, It's a group that wants, that tells homosexuals that... Um, it's okay. God made you this way. Just rejoice in being in it and go ahead and, and practice immoral actions. Well, that's not from God. And there is another group out there. It's called courage. Mm. And there's a support group for families who have children with same sex attraction called encourage. And we do have courage here in the diocese of Los Angeles. And you can get in touch with them if you have same sex attraction and you want to understand how to maneuver this in union with God's will Now, God didn't make you that way. Homosexuality is not uh, something that God gave to man. It's it's caused by the sins of men, by neglect or by molestation. And it causes gender confusion within the person. And that's why they feel same-sex attraction. So it it, it can be healed. 90% of homosexuals who will enter into therapy and stay the course um, will overcome it. And by the way, homosexuals aren't the only one who suffer from you know, if they've been, if there's been molestation, it, it doesn't always lead to homosexuality. You know, uh, there's a lot of people who suffer from sexual temptations because of a result of neglect or, or, or um, sexual molestation. Yep. And we're all called to live a chaste life. And, and chastity means, first of all, whatever I do in my body to reflect God. You know, we're an image and likeness of God and everything we do in our flesh is supposed to reflect him. And all the faculties of our body are supposed to choose God first. And all of the faculties of our, of our body find their fullest fulfillment, find their true fulfillment in God himself. So we're striving for union with God. And so whenever, you know, it doesn't matter what the sin is. If the sin is eating three hot fudge Sundays instead of one, you know, or if the sin is getting drunk every night, or if the sin is committing adultery or fornication every night or homosexual a- sexual acts, that it's still a sin. Yeah. Sin is sin. Mm-hmm. It's an offense against God who is real. And so you know what? The, produ- the guilt that it produces is real guilt because we've offended someone who loves us. God loves us. And he wants us to become a living image of himself. God is truth. He is beauty. He is goodness. There is no evil in God. There's no sin in God. Jesus Christ said what? I am the way, the truth, and the life. Mm-hmm. And Bishop Sheen said, without the way, there is no going. Without the <laughs> truth, there is no knowing. Without the life, there is no living. That's right. It is only in Jesus Christ that we have the true way, that we have the truth, and that we have the life. So we come to Jesus with our sins. And you know what? We don't have to be ashamed of the fact that we're sinners. And, you know, temptation is not a sin. Sin is giving in to temptation. It's saying with my will, all right, I choose that temptation. That's sin. So when we resist, if I say no to the temptation, I haven't sinned. And so we want to direct and guide gently our bodies 
in the direction of the Lord God, because it is God we were made to choose. So to read into that text, it's interesting because we had another text yesterday um, and it talked about, you know, the, the, the apostles couldn't cast out the demon, right? And so the priest in the sermon said, well, you see, um, the apostles couldn't cast out the demon because they were relying on external rubrics. They were just relying on some kind of external um, ceremony. Mm-hmm. And so don't worry about the rubrics. They're not important. What's important is to believe God, to, to have faith in God and to, to love God in our heart. And I'm thinking, Father, there's nothing in the text that warrants that interpretation. Because you see, Jesus tells the apostles, the reason you couldn't in one of, there's a parallel passage. It's in Mark, was the gospel we read yesterday. But the parallel passage in Matthew, the apostles say, well, why couldn't we do it? And Jesus says, because you don't have enough faith. So it's about faith. And the same, you know, with this, is, is the centurion, what, was, what did Jesus say about the centurion? Was the centurion a sinner? Was he a horrible, wretched man? This centurion had so much faith and trust in God. You know, it's a funny thing about sin. Sin does not encourage us to have faith and trust in God. As a matter of fact, sin whittles away at our faith and trust in God. And what happens is we recreate God in our minds after our own image. And Jesus praises this man's faith. He tells Jesus, you don't have to come to my house. All you have to do is say the word. I have authority over 100 men. I give an order and it's done. I understand authority. Do we understand authority? And to read into this text something that's not there, we don't understand authority. Mary, what comes to my mind over the years is an agenda. Usually when somebody tells you know something about homosexuality or... You know, uh, they they explained the miracles of Jesus way. I'm sure many of our listeners have heard about the multiplication of loaves, that that was the (laughs) generosity of the people. Uh, Here's the point. When you read the Bible without the church, you get these crazy ideas. You do. You really do. I mean, because everybody's, oh, no, I I have a novel idea. This is my insight. But it's not based on the facts. Yeah, yeah. It's based on maybe how you feel. And I'm saying feelings are not the the gospel we have to look at the facts right. and read it in context and look at what the church has always understood these scriptures to mean right. and i think that uh, i always recommend that uh, you know the ignatius catholic bible new testament the second catholic edition as the rsv is a good one because dr hahn and others have put so many footnotes in there yeah. it really makes it so that when you read the bible you, things that aren't clear to you if you read the footnote, you go, oh, okay, I see that. Right. And, the, and the, this idea that the scripture, you can just read the scripture and anyone can read it and no. understand it. We, we know from scripture itself that, that it's not, not the, we don't, it's not about personal interpretation. No. You know, Second Peter 1, 20 through 21, no, no, no prophecy is a matter of personal interpretation. Right. You know, you had in the Acts of the Apostles, the Ethiopian eunuch. It's a great story. Who's reading from the prophet he's Isaiah. He's on the chariot, right? He's on the chariot and he's reading from the prophet Isaiah about the suffering servant. And he says, well, who is the prophet writing about? And, and Philip explains to mm-hmm. him, because what did the Ethiopian eunuch say to Philip? How can I know? Exactly. How can I understand unless I have someone to explain it to right, me? Right. And Jesus Christ gave authority to his church to explain. Exactly. Remember, the church came first, and then the Bible. It was the church who put the Bible together, the Catholic Church. And Jesus gave to uh, to the Catholic Church, the Pope and the bishops in union with him, the authentic magisterium of the church, the power to, to explain to us what 
his sacred deposit of faith means. And by the way, the sacred deposit of faith includes traditions, oral traditions that have been passed on. And that doesn't contradict the scriptures. The scriptures come out of the oral tradition. <laughs> and, and, and yes, God inspired certain men to write the scripture. But again, yeah. Do we have an agenda that says, look, I think the gospel's a little too hard to follow. So I want to be able to say I can live um, my sinful life and, and believe that it's okay. God doesn't, doesn't bother God. Do I have an agenda that says, well, you know, if I admit that Jesus could work miracles then maybe I have to admit that he was more than a man, that he was really God in the flesh. And uh, that makes me a little uncomfortable because some of the things he taught are hard to follow and I don't really want to follow. We need to ask ourselves these questions. Also remember the, the, the apostolic teachings of the church, the perennial teachings of the church. I'll give you an example. We're going to talk about it on the Terry and Jesse show on Thursday with Father Martin, James Martin, who was at the Religious Ed Congress telling people that the Bible is wrong when it comes to homosexuality <laughs> in First Romans and that the catechism of the Catholic Church needs to change. See, those are the people we prayed for, that they will come to see the perennial teachings of the church but what Father Martin is doing is he's taking his personal approach and saying, no, that's just wrong on my authority. Yeah. And, and this is not a way to read the Bible. And so it's in, it's, we're encouraging you to always stick with the perennial teachings of the church. No matter who tells you something that's different, ask yourself the question, what did the early church teach about this? What did the fathers of the church teach? What did the saints have to say and then look at what magisterial teachings have been saying through the centuries, because we have to have this, what we use this continuity Absolutely. of the faith that if things don't add up, right. you know, right now, if someone comes up and says there's a fourth person of the Trinity, we have so to reject that. We reject it because that's not what we believe. And, and the same with the, that, that, the, this idea that homosexual acts are not offensive to God. They degrade the human person. They yeah. go against nature. They totally go against the nature of the creature. It, they're unnatural. And it's, it's, it's evident, and I'm not saying that, you know, that the homosexual himself is unnatural. I understand that homosexuality arises out of molestation and neglect. So, but there's a healing that can take place. And even if the full healing can't take place, everyone can live a chaste life. And that's, that's right. what courage teaches us. And, and there are many homosexual people who are living chaste lives. I have friends that have exactly that. We just had one on the other day, Joseph Siempra. We're going to come right back with more with the Bible with the Barbers on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Hello, this is Terry Barber with the Terry and Jesse Show. I'm here with Gil already. He is the president of the Catholic Men's Fellowship of California. Gil, we got a men's conference coming up. I appreciate you having me on, Terry, to share about our Rise Up, O Men of God, The Church for You Does Wait, Super Saturday Conference, and it's Saturday, March 28th in Covina at Sacred Heart Catholic Church, 344 West Workman Street in Covina, California. Who are the speakers? We have some great speakers lined up. We have Steve Ruda, former captain of the L.A. Fire Department. He's dynamic. Mm -hmm. He's energetic. He will really keep the conference moving. We have Monsignor Tim Nichols, the pastor from St. John Vianney's. Oh, yeah, he's, he's dynamic. Mark McElrath, Father Darren Merlino, a trained exorcist. Charlie Eshelman, a past Navy SEAL. 
We have Deacon Omar Uriati, who is from our parish, St. Louis de Marillac, and Father Joseph Shea. And I'll be there myself, giving a little plug for Virgin Most Powerful. You can reach us at catholicmen.org. Tickets are on sale there. Just follow the link. Tickets are on sale at eventbrite.com. Just be sure to get your tickets now till the 31st for $35 and $45 after that till the day of the conference. Sign up for this men's conference. Call Gil at 626-841-9090. I'll be sure to answer your call and give you all the information you need for the Rise Up, O Men of God, for you, the Church Does Wait conference. Thank you, Terry. Appreciate your help. God bless you. or selling your home or your business property? This is Terry Barber. Real Estate for Life underwrites the Terry and Jesse Show. And they can connect you to one of 900 pro-life real estate agents around the world. And when they receive their referral fee, they will give 80% of it to a pro-life organization. Wow! That's 80%! Realestateforlife.org 877-LIFE-US1 Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Well, welcome back. And we just want to finish up that what we were talking about before the break and this, this misinterpretation of Matthew 8, 5 through 13, a misinterpretation that somehow the centurion whom Jesus, Jesus cured the servant of that 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 man was a homosexual and the servant was his lover. There's no there's no historical precedent for interpreting it that way, and there's nothing in scripture that would warrant that, and there's nothing in the passage that would warrant that. So, and and to reach out to all of those who are suffering from any kind of sexual molestation and the effects of it, that Jesus Christ wants to bring you healing and peace. He wants you to know the freedom of the children of God to live a to be able to live a chaste life and to have sexual self control. Mastery, and, and by the way, not just mastery, it's not our sexuality. That's not the only thing we have to master. We need to master our body. We, freedom is being able to direct and guide our body to choose God first in all circumstances. And so any sin that we commit is a form of slavery. It doesn't matter whether it's sexual, whether it's gluttony, whether it's you know avarice, greed, you know gossip. Um, so know that we're all sinners. We are all in this together. You know, was it Bishop Sheen said to the prisoners, when he didn't know what to say to him, he's like, how am I going to talk to these men? They're going to look at me and they're going to think, oh, well, who are you, you you know, bishop living in your ivory tower of celibacy and, and being protected from the world and you don't know anything? And, and so he, he, he prayed and, and the first he got up there in front of all these prisoners and 2,000 men and he said, gentlemen, there's only one difference between you and I. You got caught and I didn't. We're all sinners. We're all in this together, and we just want to encourage one another to live a holy life, to live a life of union with God. And you know what? There is real joy in that. And yes, there's real suffering. There's real suffering and struggling against our flesh, and there's real suffering, especially if we have experienced molestation or neglect to the point where it's caused some kind of confusion in our life. And it doesn't necessarily cause gender confusion. There can be other confusions. But we can turn to the Lord in prayer and ask for forgiveness and ask him to show us the path to healing and to wholeness and to grace. I want to go on to another question that came up from an app listener here, and that was had to do with the Eucharist. It says, why did Jesus use bread and wine? Well, it's interesting. 
he did. No, excuse me. They didn't say, why did Jesus? He, the question was, why do we use bread and wine? Well, we use bread and wine because Jesus did. And so in Matthew 26, 26 through 29, Mark 14, 22 through 25, and Luke 22, 19 and 20, we have the institution of the Eucharist recorded for us in the gospel where Jesus is at the Last Supper and he takes bread and over the bread he says, this is my body, which is given for you and for many. And over the chalice of wine, he says, this is the cup of my blood, the blood of the covenant, which is shed for you and for many. And so this is what Jesus did at the Last Supper. So it's why we do it. And I just want to look at this a little bit deeper. What does it mean that Jesus took bread and wine? Well, Jesus, who is God, he is the eternal word of God, who lived in all, for all eternity with the Father, becomes man to redeem us from our sin, to bring us back to God, to make us friends of God again. And at the Last Supper, he takes bread and wine and changes it into his own body, blood, soul, and divinity and feeds us on his own body and blood. You see, we have a soul. Our physical body needs food to nourish it. Well, we have a soul also, and the soul is not physical, so it's going to need spiritual food. So God himself, the second person of the Blessed Trinity, becomes our spiritual food in the Eucharist. So in the Eucharist, we have Jesus identifies the unleavened bread and the chalice with his body and blood. Through the spoken words, the mystery of transubstantiation, that means the change of the entire substance of bread and wine into the change, into the, into the substance of the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ takes place. And this can only take place because Jesus is God. When God speaks the word, it happens, right? So his presence remains undetected by our senses, right? We still see bread and wine after the consecration. But the force of the verb is should not be reduced to represents or symbolizes. So Jesus isn't saying this bread represents my body or this bread symbolizes my body. He says this bread is my body. He is God. When God speaks the word, it happens. And so the bread and the wine, they're perfectly obedient creatures They totally yield their substance to the substance of the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, made man in his living, ascended, glorified state. Remember, there's no time in God. So yes, even though the Last Supper takes place in time before Calvary, Jesus consecrates bread and wine. He consecrates them separately. What? To present his death. He's going to die on the cross. He's the true sacrificial victim. He's the lamb who sacrifices himself. He's the victim who immolates himself. And he immolates himself for our salvation. And he pours out his blood out of his body. And when you separate the blood and the body, what do you get? Death. So in the mass, when the priest consecrates the bread and the wine separately, first of all, he does so because Jesus did so, but it represents to us in an unbloody manner his real death that took place on the cross once for all. We as Catholics do not believe that Jesus is dying on the cross still, but we do believe that the victim who immolated himself is now no longer dying, yet lives for all eternity his act of immolated love. The lamb who was slain is in the presence of the Father and still bears his scars, which are now glorified, Revelations 5. 
And so even though he's not dying still, he still presents himself as the victim who died and is now risen and glorified in the Father's presence. And so in the Eucharist, this is how he presents himself to us. The victim who died and is now risen and glorified in the Father's presence. Okay? Jesus links the Eucharist with his forthcoming sacrifice on the cross. He says, my blood will be poured out. And when he says my blood will be poured out, he's recalling the old covenant where the blood of the covenant was poured out. Whenever God made a covenant with his people, there was animal sacrifice involved and blood was poured out. And that was all a prefigurement of Jesus' sacrifice. There is one place where bread and wine are offered, and that was the priest king Melchizedek, whom Abraham, when Abraham won a battle, he brought a tenth of the booty, a tenth of what he got from the battle, to Melchizedek, the priest king, the king of Salem. And um, he, bread, Melchizedek offers bread and wine. This was before um, the, the, the um, golden calf event. And so after the golden calf event, all the sacrifices in the temple would be blood sacrifices. We are saved through the blood of the lamb. And the lamb of God was prefigured in the paschal lamb, the Passover lamb that was offered in Egypt when the, the, the angel of the Lord passed through Egypt and slayed the firstborn of all the Egyptians. And Christ's presence in the Eucharist makes a sacrament, a, a true communion with Jesus. The, the phrase, the blood of the covenant, of course, we mentioned is drawn from the Old Testament where in Exodus 24, 8, the people entered into a covenant with God. And they also enter, in that covenant, they enter into communion with God. And so in the Eucharist, Jesus himself sacrificed him. He, he offers himself under the appearance of bread and wine. He used bread and wine, and the bread represents his body, and the wine represents his blood. But Jesus is present whole and entire under either species. We say species. After the consecration, there is no longer any bread or any wine. It's truly the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ present under the appearance of bread and wine in his risen, ascended, glorified state. And Jesus is completely, totally present under the appearance of bread and under the appearance of wine. So when you receive the Eucharist and you only receive the host, you haven't received any less of Jesus, okay? And for celiacs who can't receive the host and receive only the precious, under the appearance of wine, only under the appearance of the precious blood, that in the wine represents the precious blood, he, they, you receive the whole Christ. You don't receive any less of him, okay? And even if the priest were have to, to break the host so that you only received a small crumb, you still receive the whole Jesus, unbroken, undivided, body, blood, soul, and divinity in his risen, ascended, glorified state. So I, I hope that helps to uh, clarify the question for the person who asked that we do this because Jesus did it. And he did it this way. He becomes the food for our souls. Just as our bodies need food, that need of the body is to remind us that our souls also need food. And the food for our souls is God himself, Jesus Christ, the second person of the Blessed Trinity, who became man. And by the way, wherever the second person of the Blessed Trinity is, the Father and the Spirit are also. So when we receive the Son, we receive the Father and the Spirit in union with him. Now, there were some other questions, frequently asked questions, um, or we can say biblical evidence for Catholic points of view. 
And we had started a couple weeks ago with the scripture passages about scripture alone. And we recognize that in the gospel of John, John says that not everything that Jesus did and said was written down. So we want to go on to a couple more of those passages about, well, why do Catholics say that it's not just scripture, but we need more than scripture. We need tradition with a capital T, the sacred deposit of faith that Jesus left. Well, in second Timothy two verse two, it says, and what you have heard from us before many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others. So Paul is talking about an oral tradition that's being passed on. And that's in 2 Timothy 2, verse 2. In 1 Corinthians eleven twelve, he says, I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. So Paul had delivered traditions orally to the people that he taught. And remember, the gospel was first preached. It wasn't first written. It was written very early on. There's internal evidence and external witness that the gospels were written before 70 AD. But nonetheless, they were passed on first through preaching. And then again, not only just as everything that Jesus said and did wasn't written down, there were other things that were passed on, the tradition. And and Paul goes on to say, um, in 1 Corinthians 15, 3, he says, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. And so he's talking about, and in that specific verse, he's talking about the Eucharist. He's talking about the institution of the Eucharist and Christ's passion and why he died and his institution of the Eucharist. And we'll have to take up more of this next week on Bible with the Barbers. I do have Bible study tonight at the chapel. Um, Again, on March 17th, the Feast of St. Patrick, we will have a special presentation on Faustina at the chapel. So instead of the Tuesday night Bible study, we'll have the presentation on Faustina. I hope you can all make it and bring your families. That'll be great. It'll be awesome to learn about the mercy of God and his love for us. And the Bible is our family heirloom. It's a very important book, but it's not the Bible alone. We have the church, and Jesus Christ founded the church. So we rejoice in the truths that Jesus Christ has given to us. We rejoice in Jesus Christ himself, the way, the truth, and the life. Thank you for joining us on Bible with the Barbers. Hope to see you next week. And I have Bible study tonight at the chapel at 7 p.m. St. Faustina's Prayer for Priests O my Jesus, I beg thee on behalf of the whole Church, grant it love and the light of thy Spirit, and give power to the words of priests, so that hardened hearts might be brought to repentance and return to thee, O Lord. Lord, give us holy priests. Thou thyself maintain them in holiness. O divine and great High Priest, May the power of thy mercy accompany them everywhere and protect them from the devil's traps and snares, which are continually being set for the souls of priests. May the power of thy mercy, O Lord, shatter and bring to naught all that might tarnish the sanctity of priests. For thou canst do all things. Amen. Virgin Most Powerful, pray for us. Virgin Most Powerful Radio, sharing the gospel with clarity and charity.